everyone, and welcome back to the Meal Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay S. Nixon from GetMealPlans.com. This is the 15th episode in Season 2 of the Co-Pilot Series, where we just kind of get together to talk about making the plant-based lifestyle more doable and just how to work and live your life. And I'm, oh, this week, guys, this is what you've been waiting for. I have a distance runner, a long distance runner. As my co-pilot today, we get so many questions about people who want to start running, who are running. How can you fuel your workouts? How can you be a runner on a plant-based diet? And so all that's going to come up today. But first, let me give a big welcome to my co-pilot, Amy. Hey. Hey. I'm really excited to be here. Oh, I'm thrilled to have you. So first, before we get into all this crazy running fun stuff, why don't you give us a little story? I know you uh, took a really long time to come to the plant-based diet. Yeah, I absolutely did. My journey started about 11 years ago. Wait, wait, wait. Did you just Uh, say 11 years? I did. 11 years. And I'm not super old. So (laughs) definitely like it started very young in my life, but not like so young that I, I didn't know when I was a kid that this is what I wanted to do. But it was just after high school when I moved out of the house and I was finally able to make food choices for myself. Um, I realized that for two reasons, I wasn't buying a lot of meat. One, it was super expensive and I was a high school grad in college and couldn't really afford any of that stuff. But two, I just, I didn't want it. For me, you know, I grew up in a, you know, you have your meat, your grain or potato, and then your vegetables and your glass of milk with every meal. And oh my God, I hated it. So (laughs) once I was able to start making my own food choices, I just... I just didn't really want the meat as much. Um, So I had started transitioning it out, you know, early on at that time. But then whenever I'd have like family get togethers or I'd go out to eat, I just, I tended to, you know, I'd I'd have a little bit of meat and definitely dairy was um, a weakness of mine, but it never really felt right to me. And I am a voracious reader. So I was always reading up on the latest diets and, you know, what people do to lose weight or feel good and, you know, be active and then also, you know, be able to fuel workouts and make sure that I guess everything is firing on all cylinders. So I went from like diet book to diet book and was trying all sorts of crazy different things. I tried the Timothy Ferris four hour work or the work week, whatever the four-hour body. That's the one. I was trying that, and that was probably the most extreme thing that I had tried, but then there was also, you know, the eat right for your type diet, and that I thought made sense to me, but, you know, things can be (laughs) skewed anyway. People want them to be, especially when it comes to research, and I didn't, I didn't know. I would read these books, and I'm like, all right, well, I'll give it a try, and, you know, I, I kept trying a lot of different things, and nothing was ever sustainable. I would lose weight, and then I would gain it back, and you know, for me being five two, a, a five to ten pound swing is pretty significant um, when you're when you're looking at me. So it's definitely something that like that let like that ten pounds I was constantly losing and gaining back, and you know I'd I'd run it off. And you know, growing up a runner, I never learned how to eat, and that's one thing that like they don't teach you. They teach you how to train. They teach you, you know what you should eat before race day. But like, for the most part, growing up, like, you just get told like, Oh, you're a runner, you can eat whatever you want. Well, (laughs) that's not true. (laughs) Yeah, I wish. (laughs) 
absolutely. But it definitely, and I found that out, you know, after, after I graduated college, I, I ran cross country through college and after college, I'm like, all right, now, like I'm completely on my own. Any structure that was there before is gone. I don't have anybody telling me when to run, when to eat, when to sleep, when, <laughs> going to classes. Like it was just a completely like clean slate, blank paper, if you will. And I struggled out of college quite a bit. So I signed up for a marathon and, you know, I, I ended up only doing a half. But during that time, like I was never, I never really found my groove as far as like the balance between working out and eating and, and all that. And, you know, I, I ended up coming across the Happy Herbivore website about two years ago now. And the recipes were so easy that I'm like, oh, hey, I can do this. And, you know, I started to then like dabble around the different links and, you know, go to other websites and, and learn more about, you know, the whole food plant based way of living. And I had watched Forks Over Knives, but the first time I watched it, I don't think that it, it really sank into me. I didn't completely get it, I guess. Um, so then as I was reading all of this stuff and then I watched it again, I was like, you know what, this, I think this is right for me. But I was afraid to tell my family, take the leave. What what am I going to do without hot dogs, which are the worst thing that you could possibly have. Right? Absolutely what I wanted. And then going into, of course, and I know that you share this a lot, cheese. I never really liked milk or ice cream or any of that stuff, but cheese, that was my thing, especially cream cheese on a bagel, which I've happily replaced with hummus on a bagel, but you know, it's one of those things where I just thought that I wouldn't be able to do it. And I think that, you know, that's just ourselves getting in our own ways when, when we say that we can't do it. You can if, if you really want to. And, you know, it's hard, I think. But at the same time, when you make a decision, you make the decision. And, and I think you can move forward. And it doesn't mean that you don't slip up from time to time. Because when I made the decision to give up meat, I definitely still had a little bit of meat after that. But, you know, I realized that I just didn't want it anymore. And it wasn't something that was important in my life. So it was a lot easier to give up once I decided that what I wanted was to give it up. So I gave up meat first late in 2014. And then I realized that when I was out to eat or with friends, like everything was so heavily cheese dominated. And I was thinking to myself, like I ate better when I was eating meat than I am not eating meat because so much dairy is getting into things. And my stomach was upset. I was bloated. And I'm like, this, this isn't right. Like I thought that just giving up meat would be enough for me, but like, I do not, I don't want the dairy in my life anymore. Um, and so I made the decision early in 2015 to cut out all dairy. So it wasn't a very long transition between becoming, yes, vegetarian to, you know, going more the whole food plant based route. And I think that it worked best for me understanding, like, I don't like titles, but the vegan, you know, you can be a junk food vegan. And I think that it was right for me to go straight to having the knowledge about being whole foods plant based, because I think that if I had gone vegan and relied a lot on the vegan substitutes, I don't think that I would have been as successful. So instead, I feel like, you know, going the whole food plant-based route for me was right because I was able to actually learn about the food and, you know, create it and not just rely on something that's heavily processed in uh, a manufacturing place somewhere, you know, out west or up north or wherever 
all of that vegan food gets, you know, created. So it really, it took me to a point where, you know, it was, it was tough at first, I think, just because I was learning a new way of, of cooking. But ultimately, it, it ended up being a lot easier than I thought it would be once I had made the decision. And of course, you know, having the meal plans, I, I had signed up for them in November of 2014. And I didn't really make the full leap until probably around March of last year. So it's, it's been about a year for me. But I was seeing the meal plans come through every week. I was trying a couple recipes here and there. So I kind of dipped my toe in the water. And then, you know, once I made the decision that I wanted to cut out the dairy, then I was full steam ahead with, with the meal plans, which really a savior for me. Oh, that's good to hear. It makes me so happy. Yeah. I, oh, I, one thing that, you know, I know that a lot of people have spouses that have been resistant or supportive and, you know, kind of runs the whole spectrum. And I've been really lucky that, you know, if I do the cooking, <laughs> my husband will eat whatever I make for him for the most part. So some of the recipes are, are much more winners with him than others, but it's definitely helped with the transition as well. That's yeah, I like to hear that. And I think that it's true. Most people aren't going to turn down a cooked meal. I mean, they may not like it as much as something else. Or like you said, some are winners more than others. But most people I find they're not going to turn down food if it means they're gonna have to go cook themselves or eat cereal. Yes, exactly. And I always tell him like, oh, if you want, you can add meat to this, or you can add cheese to that or like whatever you want. Like he's not interested in giving up all of that stuff. And that's fine. He can come to whatever eating habits he wants in his own time. But most of the time he says, no, I'll just have this because he's too lazy to go in the kitchen and cook <laughs> up some chicken or, you know, grab the cheese from the refrigerator or whatever it may be. So it ends up working out really well that like he pretty much eats what I eat and it makes things easier on me for sure, because I don't have, I guess, that other temptation around that not that it tempts me as much as it used to, but probably six months ago, it would have tempted me a lot more than it does now. Right. And it does. That's the thing is the longer you go, the easier it gets. And that's true of anything, but especially when you're trying to like kick bad food habits and adopt a new healthier lifestyle. Yes, definitely. One thing I really appreciated your honesty about was how you kind of made your diet a cheese-a-thon. Maybe not necessarily, but when you gave up meat, everything became about cheese. And I think that happens to a lot of people. I think that they become vegetarian and they think that they're making healthier choices, but then they start eating way more dairy than they ever had. And then, you know, that's not actually all that much better because you're still going to run the risk of cholesterol. And of course, we all know about the danger parts of the protein in the dairy. And so I really appreciated you being so honest about that. Yeah, I think you bring up cholesterol and that's really interesting to me because I, one of the things that was, you know, my catalyst in trying to figure out, you know, which route I wanted to go as far as health and nutrition is concerned is when I was 25, I was at the doctor's and, you know, we were just doing an annual physical and my lipid panel came back and my overall cholesterol was at 194, which is in the normal range, but it's barely in the normal range. And my doctor just sent a note saying like, oh, everything looks good. Like your numbers are all great. And I'm thinking to myself, like, what are you talking about? It looks like my cholesterol is high. And like, I'm a 25 year old active, like young person. I don't, I don't think that it should be that high, but you know, the, the doctors weren't worried because it was in the middle of that range. And then as I had follow-up appointments, I had it done again in 2013 and then again in 2014. 
and my overall cholesterol was going down. But what I noticed was my LDL was going up and my HDL was going down. So then my ratio was completely off too. And it makes me a little sad because I feel like doctors are so rushed these days that they don't even take a look at, at the trends. And while my overall number is going down, like to me, it's a picture of like, there is an issue there and I'm headed down a path to like have cholesterol issues. And I am aware that high cholesterol runs in my family and so does like heart disease and things like that. So I'm maybe a little hypersensitive to it, but to me, my numbers were coming back and saying like, Hey, red flag. And like the doctors just, you know, Hey, it falls within the range. So you're good to go. And I just get a note back picture of perfect health. And I'm thinking to myself, like, this doesn't look like perfect health to me. That's what I was just thinking as you were saying that I'm like, it doesn't look like that. It doesn't seem that way. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, my doctor didn't take my uh, lipid panel. He didn't do it last year, but, you know, I have my annual physical in a couple months and I'm going to, I'm going to make him take it if he, if he doesn't offer it up so that I can see how my numbers have come down because they have gotten to approve from where they were back in 2014. Well, and like you said, here you are, you're 25 years old, extremely young, and you were very active and you'd also always been active. It wasn't like you just decided to become active at 24. You were an extremely active person your whole life, you know, big runner, which we're going to talk about, 25 years old. And while technically you were normal, you're at the very high range. Like you said, isn't this like the first hint, the first red flag that if something doesn't correct, you're going to end up in the not so good category? Exactly. And probably if I continued the way that I was eating back in 2011, I mean, I'm sure that I could potentially be on cholesterol lowering medication by now. Yeah, absolutely. Many 30 year olds are. Yeah. At an still very young age and when you're extremely active. Right. And I remember I, it wasn't a marathon that my friend, a friend of mine's a competitive marathoner and it wasn't a marathon that she did, but it was another one that she was supposed to run where someone actually dropped dead of a heart attack running the marathon. And everyone assumed it was like some middle-aged dude who was like having a midlife crisis. No, it was someone in their 20s who had been an athlete their whole life. And if you looked at their body, you would have said picture perfect health, young guy, super fit, but his cholesterol was crazy. Yeah, that's insane. And it happens. I mean, you can just Google. It happens every year. And it's not the weekend warrior person. It's like someone who I'm sure their doctor told them, oh, you're the perfect health, but they were just on the border. Right. And that's, I think, what you have to take your health into your own hands. And you can't just go to the doctor and take the numbers for what they are. I mean, I'm lucky that I can log in at any time to my chart to be able to see where my numbers have been. And so I, I tend to do that in the doctor's office after they take my blood pressure because I had one time, you know, I normally pretty low blood pressure. And there was one time where I'm like, man, this feels like it's high. And they told me, oh, it looks good. And I looked it up online and I was able to say like, well, hey, like, let's look at my past results this is high for me. I don't know if it means anything and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, but can we talk about it a little bit more? Like, I feel like doctors and nurses are so rushed these days that if you don't come prepared with talking points and your own data, like you're literally putting your life in other people's hands and they don't care about it as much as you do. Absolutely. And that's such a true point that, I mean, healthcare is self-care. And I do think that most doctors and nurses, they do generally care, but like you said, they are just like having to churn people out. It's the way the system is. And so even if they do generally care about you, they don't have enough time to care about you to the amount they want. And even if they did, it still isn't as much as you care about you. 
Absolutely. And I, I think it's a shame because I know so many doctors and nurses and like they are just pulled in so many different directions and have so many restrictions that are constantly changing that, it, you know, I wouldn't be able to do my job. <laughs> right. I, I don't know how they do it. Like I, I have such amazement. I'm like, I, okay. I saw a doctor recently just for like a regular checkup before I was going overseas. And I think I was his 50th patient that day and it wasn't even three o'clock. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It was just crazy. Oh, wow. And I was like, I can't even comprehend this. Like I can't, my brain doesn't, compute. <laughs> I can't. I, don't I might be exaggerating, but it was a lot. A yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> the one thing you said too, that really, and I was thinking, and as you were saying it, when you're like, but this was high for me. And that's actually happened to me. Like I went, it was the same time. And I thought my temperature seemed high and they said, no, no, your temperature is totally within the normal range. And it's true by medical standards, it was by all means, but I tend to run a little cooler. So it was high for me. It may not be high for the rest of the population, but you have to know that you have to know these things about yourself. Right. And it's interesting because we have access to so much more data on demand that it's surprising that they've gone electronic with all of our medical records. So they have like all previous tests and figures that were taken previously. So like, why can't they easily see that in a graph to be able to see like where you are compared to your previous data that I'll never understand, but they have to dig to find what happened last time your blood pressure was taken or your temperature or whatever it may be. And I get super nervous. So my blood pressure is always way higher at the doctor's office than it ever would be any other time. Yeah. I mean, it's so much higher. And I'm always like, I'm really nervous. No, I, I totally tried to meditate before you came in the room. And no, I'm just, my palms are sweating. <laughs> I feel like you're going to stick me with a needle. And even though I have no reason for you to do that today, I feel like it's coming. Right. I'm not getting any shots, but, but I, I might. And like my husband says, because last year I got in a knife fight with a bell pepper. I lost. The bell pepper totally won. I had to get stitches. And so ever since then, I'm like, are they going to try to stitch me up? And I'm like, I have no thing for them to stitch up. But I'm totally having this traumatic experience in my brain. <laughs> alone with my own thoughts. Oh, my gosh. There's one other thing. There was one other thing you said um, when you were giving us your background about how just make the choice. And that's something that comes up all the times. I'm always saying this on the podcast with the members. But once you make that decision, once you draw that line in the stand, you know where you stand. You're like, this is where I stand on this line. And I'm so glad to hear that that has been so helpful for you in sort of navigating. Yeah. I mean, for me, I think, you know, I heard years ago in some podcast that I was listening to, you know, replace the word can't with won't. So to say like, I, I can't go without hot dogs, change it to, I won't go without hot dogs. And then like, that puts the decision on you. So it's like, okay, well, I mean, I could go without hot dogs. So now I realize that like, oh, it's not that I can't, it's not outside of me, it's within me and it's my decision and it's oh, wow. my choice. I so, love that. You know, in, Instead of saying, like, I can't go for a run because I don't have time, it's I won't go for a run because I didn't make time. And all of a sudden, like, the tables turn and you're like, oh, wait, I am in control of my life. I am making these decisions and I can consciously make the decision that I'm, I won't go for a run today. But then maybe that makes me make the decision that, but tomorrow I'm going to. I'm going to make time for it. I'm going to plan for it. And 
I'm going to do it. That's such a real, I've never realized this before, but you're right. By saying can't, you're absolving yourself of liability. You're totally letting yourself off the hook, but with won't, you're having to own up to it. Right, right. You're saying that it is my decision and I won't do this. Wow. Everyone write that down. Can't first won't. You got to change the way you talk (laughs) to yourself. But it's so true though. It's not, oh, I can't do this. It's I'm not doing this. I won't do this because, and sometimes you're, like you said, you have a perfectly good reason, but you still have to own it. Can't take it away. It's not someone else's fault. Right. Otherwise your can'ts just add up and then, you know, you've gone weeks or months without, you know, spending time with yourself or, you know, going and doing some activity that you want to do. Or, you know, I think that people can get caught up in life pretty easily. And when you, actually take ownership of of the choices that you're making rather than saying that, well, I can't do this because I had to work too late. It's I won't do this because I chose to work so late. And maybe you have a good reason for working late, but maybe it'll make you have the decision later in the week that, well, because I put in that extra time, you know, on Tuesday, on Friday, I'm going to, you know, cut out a little early if possible. And I'm going to go on a walk in the park or whatever it may be. I love that. You can use it to motivate you to make a different choice in the future. Absolutely. So the big thing that we were definitely going to talk about in today's episode was running. And so I actually uh, had never ran anything. I ran my first marathon 10 months after adopting a plant-based diet, had never even walked a 5K before because apparently with me, I just go big. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I don't take baby steps. And P.S., I don't recommend that at all. (laughs) (laughs) So maybe you could tell us way more about how to be a little bit smarter and slowly transition, but also tell us just about your running and any tips you have for people who want to run and fuel. Let's just open all the gates of running. Yeah. I mean, first off, I'm so impressed that like you made the decision to run a marathon and you did it because that is huge. Anybody who can go that full 26.2 or further are heroes in my book because I don't know that that's something that I will want to ever do. I I trained for a marathon and I got to my first 20 miler and I was like, Ooh, I'm not having fun anymore. (laughs) I want to have fun. Right. So I think it's so impressive. And, you know, I'm inspired by people who do run marathons and and the people who say like, oh, yeah, I started running marathons two years ago and I've run like 30. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're running one like every other month. Right. It's like, do you just run marathons? Is that all you do? Right. It, it's insane. So, I mean, I am, I'm so inspired by the people who do that. And, you know, maybe one day I will be motivated enough to actually reach that goal and, and, and do that. But right now I'm, I'm actually training for a half. And I think that, you know, from running in general, I hear from a lot of my friends like, oh, I'm not a runner. I can't run. And I don't like hearing people say like, I'm not a runner. I think that that's a, a bad shirt to put in your mind. I mean, I think that anybody who goes out and runs, that's what makes you a runner. So like anybody, even if you are going out for a run, like your first time and you're running a half mile or a quarter mile or walking some, you know, I mean, that like you right there now are a runner. It's not about the distance that you go. It's not about how fast you run it. It's, it's not about anything other than like the act of actually running. Everybody can be a runner if they want to. Everybody doesn't like running, but I mean, I truly believe that as long as you're out there doing it, like you are a runner. Absolutely. I agree with you completely. 110%, man. If you're out there, you're off the couch, counts. 
Yes, definitely. And I think that that's something that gets people, you know, caught up in their heads a little bit when they try to start out running. You know, people will bite off more that they can chew or just, you know, they, they go too hard, too fast, and then it becomes unmotivating because you get hurt or, you know, you're tired, you're sore, you just are bored, whatever it may be. I mean, I think that if you do too much too fast, it's not setting yourself up for success. And I think that a lot of people, when they're trying to make a lifestyle change to be more healthy, they're wanting to change diet and sleep and exercise and things around the house all at once. And it's just too much. I mean, I really think that you need to get one thing down and then move to the next thing. So like setting those micro goals for yourself. So if you're in this instance, trying to get out and run, you're not going to run five days a week instantly. Maybe you have time to run two days a week and you go out and, and then you set a small distance. So you're going to run a mile or even run, walk a mile. I mean, I have plenty of friends who I've started training with that like they can't run a mile and that's okay, but you just have to start small, which sounds so silly or I guess one of a, a no brainer, but it's so true, especially with running. And what I find that helps me is I pick a distance that I want to go. So I'll say, you know, maybe I'm going to run three miles today and I will go out and I will run that distance. And it doesn't matter how fast I run it. I just run it. Like I'm just getting the miles in for other people. It works better to do minutes. So you say, I'm going to run for 15 minutes today and you go out for, you know, your seven and a half and you come back for your seven and a half. Or if you have a loop that takes you 15 minutes, but you just set what that goal is going to be. I find that if you don't set that goal, then you're probably going to stop a little bit earlier. So, you know, if you were to get on a treadmill and you don't have a goal in mind, you know, and you're not saying that like, I'm going to run two miles on this treadmill or one mile on this treadmill, you know, and you just say, I'm going to, I'm going to stop when I get tired. You're probably going to stop within the first 30 seconds of running. Yeah, I know I that I'm tired that. within so, 30 um, seconds of running minutes, on a treadmill. Cool. In two minutes. That would be me in two minutes. I would stop. But that's really true. And I, that's how it was when I was training for a marathon. I was like, okay, I have to do it by this time or by this many miles, because if I just like say, I'm going to run until I don't want to run anymore, I'm not going to make it to the end of the driveway. Like, let's be real. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and for me, I, again, have so much, like, I'm so inspired by people who can run on the treadmill because for me, I grew up running cross country. I ran it through college and I cannot focus on a treadmill for longer than like a mile. Like I will warm up on a treadmill if I'm doing lifting or anything like that. I'll cool down on a treadmill, but like I can, I, I won't <laughs> run any more than a mile on a treadmill because I just can't stay focused on it. But, you know, some people really like the treadmill running or, you know, if weather is bad, it, it's easier to be able to get in miles on a treadmill rather than going outside and fighting the weather. But I think the biggest thing that you need to do is that if you're serious about running, I recommend going to an actual running store to get fitted for the correct shoes. So I think that it's a little cost prohibitive for some people to get running shoes because they are so expensive. But there's a couple ways that, you know, you can get them cheaper, um, either by going online. Uh, what you can find is that if you get fitted for a shoe, generally what they're going to tell you is this brand works well with like your gait or, you know, however it is that, that you run. 
you know, you want to, they'll walk you through like me, for example, I overpronate, which means that the inside of my foot, rather than stopping flat, it goes in a little bit more. So it puts extra strain on like the inside of my leg. So I need a little bit stronger support on the inside part of my shoe. So, you know, they walk me through that. And I know that I have to look for shoes that have extra support there to stop me from, you know, pronating too much while I'm running. And they'll walk you through all that, give you the tips on what shoe to buy. And then you can, if you want to buy from that store, you can get last year's model of the shoe that they show you. And that's generally about 40 to 60% cheaper than this year's model. Oh, and wow. honestly, shoes don't change that much year to year. Like, you know, after you go a few years, they definitely get lighter, the material gets more durable. But I find that I can normally get shoes that are list priced for this year's model is like $160. I can get them for anywhere from 60 to $80. So that helps if, if you're going to last year's model instead of this year's model, which is one thing that I, I don't think that a lot of people know when it comes to running shoes that they are still selling just like cars last year's model and this year's model. So, you know, that's where a lot of that price difference comes in for similar looking shoes. Yeah, I had no idea. I wish I had known that because I remember that was one of the things that was so expensive. And, and two, when you are training for things that are really long distance, like a half marathon or a full, you know, you go through shoes pretty fast because you're just racking up so many miles. And so I wish I'd have known that. That's a really great tip. Yeah, that's, that's definitely something that I think, you know, if you find the right pair of shoes for you, it's going to make running so much more enjoyable. I will go back, like, I don't think that for me, when I started getting in running, or if I go a long time without running, and then I get back into it, like, it's hard. And it's hard for anybody who's going to start, like, unless you're a kid, and you just don't know better, and you just go out and run, like, that's what children do. But if you're an adult, or if you're, you know, a late teen, like starting to run is hard to do. So it's very mental early on. You have to say that I want to do this. And, you know, it's one of those things where you'll look back one day, and maybe it's a month, maybe it's two months into a regular running routine, whether it's two days a week, or four days a week, or whatever you can fit into your schedule, all of a sudden, you'll look back and say, like, wow, I remember, three weeks ago, I was dying doing that like mile loop or whatever it may be. And today I feel good. So it'll happen slowly, but all of a sudden something will click and you'll realize that like, wow, I, I have seen a lot of improvement in you know how I feel when I run. And I think that you just have to mentally get past how much it sucks at first, if it is something yes. that you want to do. And it is a good activity, but you know, for some people, running isn't going to be something that they want to do outside of, you know, just augmenting their fitness routine with it, which is okay. I'm going to totally butcher this, but Will Smith gave a speech to a graduating class or something. And he talked about running and how much it sucked and how it was important that you go run. It was like, it was his advice. Like if there's nothing else you do, it's to go run. And people couldn't really understand like, why is Will Smith telling me if there's nothing else I do, why is it to go run? And then he explained himself. He's like, because when you start running for the first time, the first couple of times, there's this little voice in your head that tells you to stop and you've got to fight it and tell it to shut up and keep going. And that's where you like learn your personal strength to overcome anything. 
Yeah, I have never heard that. And like, it's so true. I mean, kudos Will Smith for flipping that one in. Right? I know we're all gonna have to go YouTube this video. But I swear it exists, everybody. I swear. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And it's so true. I mean, it's (laughs) running is not an easy thing to do, which is one of the reasons why I think that it's one of the most rewarding people that or rewarding things that people do. They find out a lot about themselves when they go running. And I, I think another thing that helps quite a bit outside of just a pair of shoes is finding a group of people that you can go running with. So, you know, growing up through cross country, I of course always had my teammates, but then out of college, I started looking around for like city running groups and, and things like that. I mean, I hear and part of a a know me athlete running group that we have in the city so like we all meet up and it's kind of nice because there's a lot of people who are whole food plant-based in that and other vegetarians and vegans so like-minded folks to go running with and then you can talk about all the crazy things that your coworkers said to you that week Um, (laughs) but I think having that group or person who will will do it with you is so special and really helps you to be able to have an accountability to actually do it, but then to also just be that support system for you to tell you when you're not feeling well, that they say, come on, keep going. I know that you can do it. And and vice versa. Sometimes they're feeling terrible and, and you can be that encouragement for them. But being able to have that support system, I mean, it reminds me a lot of, you know, the Neil Mentor Facebook group and forums, you know, when you're having that moment where you really need support, you know, you can go there and, and you have people telling you to keep going and, and you're doing great and you're awesome, you know, the way that, that you are and, and how you're doing things. And then on the flip side, when somebody else is coming and you're feeling very full, you can help them and, and help support them through, you know, whatever struggles they might be going through. But Definitely that support system is so key to being able to get any sort of substantial mileage or just even starting at times, you know, to be able to go running. And it's true. I mean, the support thing is so important and it is always nice when you can be that person that gives this the strength to the person to give it back because you both feel great about it. But even if you can't find like a vegetarian running group, almost every place has some kind of a running group. And so even if you can't connect on the diet part, you can at least, you know, be there for each other to encourage the running. Yeah, you're right. I mean, there's so many different running groups. And what you'll find is that a lot of the running stores have their own running groups. Yeah, I was just going to suggest that. Saturdays Mm -hmm. or Sundays which is awesome because then you get to meet a lot of people in your neighborhood. And, you know, I don't necessarily know so many people like right in my area, but being able to meet up with those different groups is extremely helpful to, you know, just expand my social circle a little bit. Absolutely. And it's, again, it's finding people you wouldn't normally meet that you have this new common interest with. And that was a big thing for me. I remember when I started yoga, no one else in my life at that time did yoga or had any desire to do yoga. And now I've made friends through yoga. And while yes, it's yoga that links us together, there are other things we had in common. And I never, our paths would have never crossed had I not gone to start doing yoga in a community setting instead of just on my computer at home in my living room. Yeah, the community is definitely huge when it comes to, you know, any new goal that you want to achieve, you know, being able to have that support system and people that you can connect with on on a level 
of whatever goal it is that you have, whether it be yoga or running or eating better. I think that you said it perfectly. Community is, is key. And even if you have someone in your life, you still benefit from meeting new people. So with my experience, my best friend had oh gosh, maybe six or 10 marathons by the time I started training for mine. But even though he had all of this experience, he, I had experiences he, he still to this day, 10 years later has never had. Like I started having a lot of toenail issues. Like I had lost a couple of toenails, which is actually pretty common for <laughs> distance runners. It's unpleasant, but it's also a sign of bad shoes. So definitely go to that running store. But um, that had never happened to him. And so I was like, uh who do I talk to about this? You know, I like, I was yeah. like freaking out. I'm like Googling frantically, like losing tone. It was bad, but it ended up being a runner's group where people were like, oh, that happened to me. And they like helped me out like what I could do. And that's when I knew I needed to change my shoes. <laughs> so it's yeah. funny that you when- said straight out, go buy shoes. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. When I was training for, you know, my first half marathon that I did, I actually, you know, had researched different running groups and I found a group that, you know, specifically training for half marathons and marathons. And then they put you in a pace group. But one of the really cool things that they did and provided as a group is we would meet on Saturday mornings for our long runs. And every Saturday morning, they would have a different speaker there to talk to us before we would do our long run. So they brought nutritionists and they brought in doctors and, you know, sports medicine people and, and all sorts of different people to be able to talk about things that you may experience as you're training for this marathon, which if I didn't have that, like, I would have been really lost when it came to like some of the things for like planning for a marathon and, you know, that you have to try out different things to eat on your long run to see what agrees with your stomach. Mm -hmm. And like, I didn't know that. And, you know, realizing that, Hey, you know, me used to running five Ks, like I never drank water while I was running. But then the fact that like when you're running the longer distances, you should really, you know, make sure that you're taking water at least every 10 minutes once you hit like I think it's 40 or so that you should be keeping yourself hydrated because after that like you're starting to lose it a lot faster and you need to mix water and then like an electrolyte drink to be able to make sure that you're not completely depleting your your body and stuff and that's stuff that you know I wouldn't have known just from going out and downloading a training program where they give you your weekly mileage I I would have been (laughs) in some serious trouble I learned the hard way with food. There was, cause like I said, I had never done anything else before. And so I, I knew that I needed to like eat, but I didn't know what to eat. And I had so many failures that I wish that I'd had a running group to get ideas from. Cause like the one time I tried to run with a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, which seemed like such a good idea because I know you're laughing at me. It's okay. I'm laughing at me. Newsflash, everyone. When you're running, you cannot get peanut butter out of your mouth. It's a bad choice. No. Well, I see people running with peanut butter crackers and I'm like, I don't know how you do that. How do you get it down? It doesn't ever leave your mouth. It just keeps smearing more and more on your teeth and no. (laughs) And then another time I was like, Laura bars or Lara bars, whatever they're called. That's a great idea. It's raw and it's fruit and it's nuts. Apparently something that dense is a bad choice when I run, but I have friends who would swear by it, but no, no, it was not for me. Uh -uh. I ended up being into dehydrated fruit. Mostly my husband loved dates and like, um, but I actually, I think if I could do it all over again, I might even try potato, but I don't know that I want to run holding the potatoes. So maybe that wouldn't work for me. 
Yeah, I've been curious to try it too. So my half marathon is in two weeks and I've tried out a couple different things on my long runs, but I really want to try a potato, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, where, I don't know where to put it. Right. I was like, so, I'd have to wear it around my waist and then it would be like whapping me in the bottom. Right. So I, I haven't tried a potato yet, but I mean, I think that I do find, you know, going back to this is my first time running uh, a half marathon, you know, purely fueled by like the whole food plant based meals and potatoes are your best friend when it comes to recovery, when it comes to like prepping for races. Like I have, I go through about 10 pounds of potatoes a week right now because I'm eating that many potatoes, but like I remember training for the last half marathon that I did and days after my long runs, like not only would that day I sleep for about six hours before I'd like get up and the day would pretty much be over and, you know, okay, go to bed and do it the next day. But the following day I would be so sore that I wouldn't even want to like walk around. And that was just in putting distance on my body, not even like, going fast. So this time around in, in eating the way that I have been, I found that like, yeah, there are days where I'm sore when I'm pushing the pace a little bit, but like, I do not feel the type of soreness that I used to feel when I tried to run before. I mean, it just, the soreness that I used to have was so painful that it would make me not want to go out and run the next day. And the soreness that I feel now is, is more of that good sore, like, oh, yeah, I did something, but, like, let me get out and do a little bit more today because then I'll just build on to that, you know, muscle and, and things like that. And, you know, eating potatoes has been, like, a godsend from a recovery standpoint and uh, just fueling my runs. And I can tell when I don't have them as a regular staple of my diet, then I don't feel as good when I'm running. I don't feel like I have the energy. I don't feel like it's springy when I'm running. I just, I feel a little more lethargic and sluggish. It's really interesting that you brought that up because I have a very similar experience and I thought I was alone in noticing this, although there is certainly a lot of studies and data that eating plant foods as a recovery means you'll recover faster. But so I, like I said, I didn't run before I was plant-based, but I used to like work out, like lift weights before I was plant-based. And I would have exactly what you were talking about where I was so sore. I like couldn't even get off the couch. And I remember once dreading going to work because stairs were so ungodly painful. Like I could barely walk. My muscles hurt so bad. And there were times that like my arms hurt really bad. And I just thought like that was what working out was. And then I stopped doing it. And then years later I picked it up again, but this time I was plant-based and sometimes I would have, like you said, where like, it was a mild discomfort, like, oh yeah, I did something, but it was never this crippling, painful, I can't walk. And I've actually never experienced that since, even when I've done really intense activities, like I've, I've gone snowboarding in the back country and gotten lost and, you know, ended up in like very serious terrain, any kind of situation that was more than I planned for. I should be sore. Actually, like two weeks ago, I got a bug up my butt and decided to go run five miles uh, and I ran uphill <laughs> on a mountain. I don't know what. Oh my gosh. Me. Yeah. I, I was like, I think I'm going to go for a walk. And Scott's like, okay. I came home way later and he's like, what happened? I'm like, I ran. He's like, what do you, what do you mean you ran? I was like, I ran five miles. And he was like, 
but didn't you go on a hiking trail? I'm like, yeah, I ran up and down the hiking trail. <laughs> and he's like, oh what? My gosh. And so I was so sure the next day I wouldn't get out of bed. Like, surely my legs will hurt. I haven't ran in years. I was fine. So then I'm like, Dom's, surely it's Dom's. It's going to come the next day. Never did. <laughs> and I think it's because yeah, I was like incredible. pounding potatoes and kale and paranoia. I came home. I was like, I ran. Shove some potatoes and kale in my mouth. <laughs> yeah, it's true, though. I mean, the sore that I feel now is a productive feeling sore. Right. Whereas before it was like, oh, my gosh, I feel like I'm destroying my muscle type yes. of sore. And it just it speaks to how, you know, this way of eating really does fuel your body. And it's what your body needs and wants. And like, if you take care of your body, your body will take care of you. And it's I think it makes it a little less scary to try new things and to, you know, push yourself a little bit further when it comes to you know, things from, from a fitness routine from, from my standpoint. It does make a difference. Absolutely. Yeah. I, it, it's even, so I've gone to places like Disney and you don't think about it. And this is how it's so funny when people are like, why well, I, I don't exercise, but they man, they can manage to walk around Disney all day long. And it's like nine and 10 miles that you walk. And I don't get sore then either, even though it's completely out of character for me who sits on my bottom, like my Apple watch buzzes all day long telling me to stand up because I've been sitting <laughs> too long. I'm like, um, right about that. But I'm always like, where were you when I was doing yoga this morning? Were you asleep? <laughs> because <laughs> I wasn't. absolutely but I think my watch like doesn't know what I do but it's it's okay but anyway so while we were talking I had to find it so I found the Will Smith quote so everybody get ready when you're running and that voice in your head that starts saying to you slow down your ankles are hurting and it tries to get you to stop that's when you keep on running and break through. When you learn to defeat that person inside you that tries to get you to stop, you can defeat anything that stands in front of you, anything that's blocking your way toward your true purpose, destination, and goal. That's awesome. And <laughs> it speaks to life. It speaks to running. Mm -hmm. like, free I, was like, I mean, I totally <laughs> paraphrased that wrong, but, you know, same point. <laughs> <laughs> I think you got it pretty close. Uh, you know, I think it's from that deep, deep trove of YouTube videos lost in the back of my mind somewhere. Um, but yeah, everyone, go go find that YouTube video. But no. And I also liked what you said about how um, you didn't like running at 20 miles. And so you said, you know what? I don't need to prove this. Maybe someday I'll like this. But I'm just going to stick to the version that I like. Yeah, that was a... a tough decision for me, but also I think the best decision that I could have made. I mean, I think that, you know, for people who decide that they're going to run a marathon, it, it's great. But at the same time, you can get burnt out so easily on just the sheer amount of time and miles that you're putting in. And I didn't want to fall out of love with running just because I wanted to get to a certain number. So deciding after that first 20 miler that like, I'm not having fun anymore, you know, I'm bringing it down to distances that I like better. I mean, I really like what I call like middle long distances, which for some people are just long, long distances, but <laughs> between that nine to 13 miles, like that's, that's my favorite distance to do, you know, outside of like short, shorter, like weekday runs. But I really find that I, I find my groove. It's, I just get this, sense of calm when I'm doing, you know, those miles. So dropping down to the place where I like to be was the right decision 
for me. And I think that for anybody who wants to do, you know, running, you know, find, find that distance that, you know, after you've given it a couple months <laughs> that you like, then, you know, stick with that. And, you know, you don't have to push yourself to prove something and, you know, running a marathon doesn't make you a runner. You're definitely a runner if you're running a marathon, but you're also a runner if you're running a mile around your block. And that's so true. And I think like you said, a lot of people feel that way. And when you were saying like, don't say you're not a runner. And it's true. Don't be the person telling yourself you can't do something. And that was me for a long time. I wouldn't call myself a yogi, even though I went to yoga several times a week because I was like, oh, well, I'm not a yogi because I can't do a handstand. Yes, I you're a yogi the second you do downward dog. Did you just do downward dog? You're a yogi. Um, but I think even I felt that way as a runner, even after I had ran a marathon, I was like, oh, I'm not a runner. Well, what was that thing yeah. that I just did for the last six months? <laughs> what was right. that? If you're not a runner, I don't know who is. But you I know? remember thinking you that. Cause that I was many like, miles in. Yeah, because I, I wasn't particularly the fastest. You know, I wasn't super fast. I had It was my first marathon. I was around all these people who'd done like 10. I'm like, what, when are you ever this thing? It's, and it's, it's just the moment you're ready to identify. And the sooner the better. Yeah, I mean, I think that for for anybody who's going through a change, like you doing activity definitely like makes you that. And it may not feel like that. It may feel, you know, a little bit like the imposter syndrome, like, ooh, I, I shouldn't really be this or I can't really call myself this because I haven't hit X, Y, and Z accolade. But, you know, that's that's just you in your head, you know. It's, it's not what it really is because, you know what, when you're running out in your neighborhood, the person down the street isn't going to know that that's your first time out running. They're going to see you and be like, oh, look at that runner. Right. Exactly. That's such a good point. We're always like, oh, there." no one knows. There isn't a sign that says, I'm a baby runner. <laughs> no one knows. Right. If anything, if someone sees you, they're just going to be like, oh, I should be doing that. Absolutely. I'm always so inspired whenever I'm out on trails and I see people like, of, you know, all ages and sizes and they're out on that trail and some of them are, are huffing and puffing, just walking and other people are flying faster than I could ever run. And each one of them inspires me equally because I'm thinking like, you made the decision to come out here and do this. And I don't know if this is you making the first step in your fitness journey, or if you've been working at this for months or years, but like just the fact that you're out there doing this is incredible to me. I feel the same way. And I think what probably surprised me the most is I had also never been to a marathon until my very own one. And I remember standing at the starting line and being truly shocked that everyone didn't look like Olympians. Yes. Even though I didn't look anything like an Olympian, I think I was like super self-conscious showing up. And then I realized and people that were super, super fast didn't even look kind of like an Olympian. And it was just, it, it was very humbling and inspiring. And it also made me realize I really need to stop having stereotypes in my head about running. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It skews your perception. And I think that's what scares a lot of people away from it at times. You see these images on the internet of, you know, the, the model who's pretending to be a runner. <laughs> and like, I mean, that's... <laughs> It's not what every runner looks like, you know? I mean, I'm 5'2", and, and I'm curvy, and I certainly don't look like a runner, but, you know, I get out there and I do it. That's true, because I feel that way when I see yoga magazines, and these people are contorting their bodies in all kind of ways. I'm like, what? <laughs> They've probably <laughs> been a gymnast since they were three. <laughs> right. <laughs> My spine doesn't bend that way yet. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I'm not sure it ever will, but I'm super optimistic. Right. I'm trying. 
<laughs> yeah, but no, that's true. Like you said, you're five two, and um, but you can still run. And 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 I think you get you nailed it. So many people think you're like these long, tall, lean things, and that was definitely not me. And not most of the people that ran. And so just do it. Yeah, just do it. Doesn't matter. Don't expect. I mean, yeah, your body absolutely. may end up that way, depending. I don't know. You know, some people might slim down from running. I, I didn't. But mostly I was like, oh, I ran. I can eat potatoes. I mean, not potatoes, the good <laughs> kind. I mean, like the French fries and potato chips. <laughs> yeah, I definitely use. And I think that was what you were saying. You didn't enjoy it. And I actually remember my daily runs, not my long runs on the weekend, but my dailies were seven to nine miles. And I loved it. I loved it so much, but I wasn't honest with myself like you were. I was like, damn it, I'm going to check this box. And I didn't enjoy it. And so I think because I suffered through it, I ended up not always using it as a motivating thing. It was like, oh, I suffered running 23 miles today. So I can totally eat this vegan ice cream and these French fries for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) But I think if I'd had a healthier thing, like, oh, you know what? I, I could could do that someday, but I just really like running 79 miles and then it would have been positive and I wouldn't have been using it as an excuse to justify not so good choices to feel better about yeah. my suffering. Well, and that's something that I saw the people that I trained with for my first run, which I ended up doing the app, I would hear in conversations, you know, with these women who were talking to each other and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I plan on having this, that, and the other thing tonight. And it's, it's okay because I just ran five miles and I'm thinking to myself, like what you just listed off is about 1500 calories in one meal. And like you burned maybe 500 calories. Like running is not a way to lose weight by any means. Like you don't burn that many calories running. You definitely burn more than you do walking. But I mean, when I run three miles right now, I'm burning maybe 300 calories, maybe. So like, you can use it as a way to get fit. But don't think of it as a way to like lose weight. Like you said, as are made in the kitchen, you know, you you have to get your nutrition right, in order to be able to drop that weight. And anything that you do from an activity standpoint is really just to help your your fitness level, which is also equally important to you know, your your healthy eating. And I think that's a really good point you brought up too about how you don't actually burn that many calories. I mean, yes, you're going to burn more calories running than you would sitting on your bottom. But it's even by that comparison, it's not that much. We burn calories all day long. You and I have been burning calories the whole time we've been sitting here talking. Everyone who's listening is burning calories while they listen. Yes, if we were walking, we would be burning a little bit more than if we were sitting. And if we were running, it'd be even a little bit more. But we're extremely efficient. I mean, we're, very, we're we're not the Hummer guys. We're all a Prius. All of our bodies are a Prius. I know no one is more devastated about that than me. But it's so true. And then the more you run, the more you do it, the better you get. And I actually saw this with walking. Um, for a while, I was wearing all these different monitors because I was just really into data and crunching it. And when I first started trying to do 10,000 steps, doing one of our steps challenges, I noticed I was burning like a whole lot of calories. And then as the month progressed, even though I was doing the same steps and my neighborhood had not changed, I wasn't burning as many calories and I was really confused by it. But then I realized, oh, I've kind of developed a rhythm. I'm literally physically more efficient at walking. (laughs) And that's why it was less calories. But the same would happen to a runner as you like perfect your stride intentionally or not. 
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think that it's something that, you know, I really liked what you've said previously about, you know, logging your activity at the end of the day after you've eaten everything that you're going to eat, you know, you're winding down for the day. I mean, the fitness trackers, while it's great to have the data, can be extremely misleading and, and make you think that you have a little bit more wiggle room than maybe you do. And so I think that it's important to not say that because you did this activity, now you can eat that. Like you have to separate the food and the activity, you know, eat when you're hungry, work out because you want to, you know, improve your fitness, but don't eat because you worked out. Exactly. Don't, yeah, don't always eat your exercise calories back on or or exercise. And that was one thing that used to make me crazy. Celebrities don't say it so much anymore, but I'd be like, oh, I remember once Jessica Simpson was like, oh, just eat the donut and then work it off on the treadmill the next day. I'm like, but I never could quite run off a jelly donut, Jessica Simpson. I just don't think we're eating the same jelly donut. Absolutely. Well, and I, I even think about that now. And I think, because I used to do that. I used to say like, oh, you know, I can have this martini because I ran or I'm going to have this, you know, bagel with cream cheese because I did X, Y, and Z. And it's like, I, I used to make that correlation quite heavily. And then, you know, little by little, the weight was creeping on and it's like, man, I'm, I'm active. And, you know, I eat pretty well, but like, how am I, how am I starting to gain this weight? And like, yeah, you can only blame so much on getting older and your metabolism slowing down. Like, it is not that. (laughs) It was definitely the rewards and the treats that I gave myself that, you know, I, I didn't need it. And ultimately, like, I would have that, but it wasn't satisfying. So then I'd end up eating either more of that thing, or I'd eat more at my next meal. And so you never have the opportunity to work it off, because your body is saying, this isn't what I need to fuel myself. So it's gonna make you want to keep eating. Yes, absolutely. And I know that too. I remember when I was working out, like with a trainer, I'd be like, Oh, my God, my trainer totally worked me out, I need to eat. And I was like, Whatever I just ate was like 10 times more calories than I burned lifting a five pound dumbbell. Let's just be real. <laughs> but, but, <laughs> exactly. But the apps really got me too. I'm glad you brought that up. And it was actually another member who suggested it, that logging in at the end of the day, because that was really, I stopped losing weight for a while and I couldn't figure out why I was like, I'm not, I don't know. But it was because I was logging, I was walking or I was going to yoga class or any number of things. And it was artificially giving me more calories. And I was like, but I really didn't burn that. I'm I'm so sure when I sat in child's pose, which is basically laying on the floor for 10 minutes, I did not burn 130 calories, but don't I wish. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, that's, That's one thing that, you know, if I just automatically let the app calculate what I burned during yoga, it'll put me at like, say it's 30 minutes, you know, it'll put me at like 120 calories. And then when I actually look online and then do a calculation based on like the ratio that they had for this 180 pound female or whatever it may be and and calculate it down to where I am, like I'm maybe, maybe burning 45 calories, if that. Like, yeah, and you probably would have burned 30 much. by not doing anything at all. <laughs> Just right. if you slept. Exactly. So, I mean, it, it can be very deceiving and, and you can get caught in a trap that, you know, I mean, I think that what I have started to do much more recently, you know, 
in, in listening to the podcast and in, in reading things in the, the forums, you know, people have had a lot of great tips and, you know, trying to recognize that true hunger and like eating when you're hungry and not because you're bored and not because you're thirsty, but because you truly need fuel. And so I've been working, you know, over the last seven months about like really listening to that. And I used to be so worried after I ran that like, oh my gosh, I need to eat something within 30 minutes. Otherwise I'm not going to recover fast enough. And you know, all that crazy stuff you read on the internet. And it's like, man, one, people didn't do this back in the day before there was research about it. And like, you know, when, when we were hunting and gathering, people weren't worried about how quickly they ate after they finally, you know, shot the boar or, you know, got the berries, people (laughs) when they were hungry. And so it's one of those things that has taken a lot of training. And, and now, like, right after you work out, you're not hungry immediately. So I, I don't force myself to eat. I found that I was forcing myself to eat when I wasn't ready to eat or I wasn't hungry, which ultimately just ended up making me feel bad. But I mean, for na- like now, I just I eat when I'm hungry and I just try to, to let that be. And I look at the app, you know, I'll, I'll still log my food just to see from a day over day, what, what do I feel better eating? And just to have, have the data and see what it says that I burn versus what I'm saying that I took in. But there are plenty of days where it says like, Hey, like you're way, you're under where you should be calorie wise. But you know, I was satisfied. I was hung. I wasn't hungry. And then there's other mm-hmm. days where I'm saying like, Hey, you went over, like you shouldn't have gone that far over because you know, you should have hit whatever target. And I just think that it's so hard to try and manage to to whatever the app says that you should be eating. It's better to just listen to yourself. And I like to log it just to have the detail. But, you know, ultimately I'm looking at the app and I'm like, man, like if I ate according to what this thing told me to eat, I would probably be miserable most days and stressed out and like worrying nonsensically about things that I shouldn't have to worry about. And honestly, you, you don't have to worry about so I think that it's good to just listen to yourself and to try to get a better relationship with you and, and know when you're hungry. Definitely. And as women, and I mean, I'm sure this happens to men too, but I know it definitely happens with women. There's a natural ebb and flow, including with our hunger and our needs. And so this idea that this app knows we need exactly 1,571 calories every single day is kind of crazy because that's just not how biology would be, especially for women and our menstrual cycle that's constantly shifting. We're going to be more hungry and less hungry throughout the month just based on hormones or our body producing lining or blood or anything. So it's just like you said, it's normal. It's you're supposed to have days where you're maybe a little under or a little over. They balance each other out. Absolutely. Well, it reminds me of, I think, I think it was on one of these podcasts with a doctor very early in season one where they were talking about kids or maybe it was a mother talking about her children and what her doctor said to said to her, but it was essentially that like, it's okay if kids eat a lot of fruit one day and then they refuse something another day and they eat a lot of something else, you know, ultimately they're eating to what feels right. And it's going to balance out in the course of the week. And as long as they're eating a balanced week, then it's not something to worry about. And so I kind of try to take that mentality, you know, okay, like let's, let's access my inner child and like eat how I feel like eating, not, not how I want to eat necessarily if I'm thinking like junk food, but you know, eating that good food that I know is fueling me and, and eat what feels right when it feels right and, and not worry so much about 
you know, getting X amount of calories and making sure I eat my breakfast at 8 a.m. and then my lunch is by 11.30 and that I have two snacks in between or whatever it may be. Like, it's just so much to worry about. And there's already so much to worry about in life. I just, but I do parent myself. I'm like, okay, Lindsay, you you need to eat a green vegetable. It's been a couple of days. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that I will say that, I mean, after a while, I will definitely crave green vegetables, but I do tell myself like, all right, let's have this salad. Like you may not want it. I get cold so easily. So salads are not always super appealing to me, but I find that the longer that I've been eating this way, the more I start to crave salads and especially some of the wonderful dressing recipes that there are. And I never knew that there could be so many wonderful dressings without oil in them. I know we actually have a whole bunch because we're just coming out of the cold. So we're starting to go back into spring and summer and that and that's when salads start to really explode on the meal plans. And I just you guys don't even know what's coming. Just just get ready because there are some dressings that are coming that every day it's so hard for me not to scream it from the rooftops because we're always a little bit ahead at HQ. But (gasps) there's this orange Asian one. Oh, I can't even talk about it. I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just kidding. So good. But anyway, it sounds good. Yeah, I'm I'm so good. But Amy, it has been so much fun having you on the podcast and you gave so many wonderful tips. And I hope everyone that's listened, that's wanting to run or starting to run out one, a, you are a runner. It's okay to identify and two, that they feel more empowered. Cause you definitely make me want to go running. Oh, good. Well, maybe we could go run together virtually. Yes. Oh, that would be a good idea. Everybody, we're going to go run a mile together and then check back in when you get back. And we'll all be like, I didn't even leave my computer. <laughs> but anyway but thank you again thank you so much amy for coming on and talking with us and thanks everyone for listening if you want to learn more about the meal plans and all of this good stuff you can visit getmealplans.com i'm your host Lindsay s nixon thanks again to my co-pilot amy for coming on and thanks for listening and um hope to see you guys again soon and thank you amy thank you